Welcome to Alaska's Native Voice. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Indigenous communities up and down Alaska's west coast continue to recover from a historic storm, which slammed into the state in September. The typhoon devastated indigenous communities. People lost valuable resources from boats to fishing nets, dry houses and other tools essential to their indigenous hunting and fishing subsistence way of life. People also lost food they had already stored up, essential to getting them through the winter. Join us as we talk about the typhoon, emergency preparedness, and the impacts of climate change, right after the news. This is KMBA News, I'm Hannah Bissett. This week, the First Alaskans Institute held its 2022nd Elders and Youth Conference in person for the first time since 2019 due to COVID-19. KMBA's Antonia Gonzalez was there and has this report. To call their regalia. Storyteller and cultural bearer Bob Sam from Sitka opened up the healing event by sharing some history of boarding schools in Southeast Alaska. From the early opening of the Sheldon Jackson School to students who were sent to the Carlisle Indian School in Pennsylvania. Sam says it was devastating for students to be stripped of their languages and cultures. He also shared some stories of boarding school survivors talking about the trauma they endured. Students were often told they were worthless and many were physically, mentally, and sexually abused. And when they arrived in Carlisle, it had to have been the worst experience of their life. Sam, who works on repatriation efforts, has brought home the remains of many students. He says that work and his overall research of U.S. Indian boarding schools has caused him much trauma. He spent many years in Japan learning about Japanese culture. He then returned home to Alaska, embracing his Tlingit culture to help him heal from the trauma. Primarily, I return bodies and stuff like that, but I... I began to listen to the survivors and the people who suffered from the trauma of boarding schools, and from there I developed the ceremony. Sam put on his traditional regalia, which he says is part of the healing process, describing each piece from his tunic to an orange apron, representing every child matters, a robe, and a woven headband representing indigenous boarding school students in Canada. Sam then told a story about Raven and the return of traditional knowledge to the people. Sam ended the ceremony by having people form two lines. Boarding school survivors then walked down and were given affirmations, handshakes, and hugs from each person. As Sam sang, I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The last day of Elders and Youth Conference was a joyous one. Sound of laughter, stomping, and clapping could be heard from the third floor to the first in the Dematic Center. Compared to the last three days of the conference, Wednesday the 19th of October was shorter and had three major focuses, healing houses, resolutions, and music. Healing houses are used at Elders and Youth Conference every year, with a male, female, and the newest edition of an LGBTQ plus house, discussing various topics of how to grow, heal, and to connect with people in the community. 
Jeremy, or otherwise known as Jeremiah Miller, is from Nome and is a Nupiat. Miller joined the LGBTQ plus healing house. This year was Miller's first elders and youth conference. I think it's just hearing other people's experiences makes me think about my own experience more and what ways I relate to them. Like, I think I'll take back more of uh, what people do to heal or what they do to like be themselves more like what helps them do that or I'd trying to figure out how to word this I think honestly just hearing other people's experiences makes me feel not alone so I think I'll remember hearing those experiences and I think to know that I'm not alone will help me heal after the healing houses concluded the group gathered to hear about the resolution titled sobriety programs incorporated into our schools in Alaska the goal is to help high school students who are exposed at an early age to drug abuse. A secondary goal is for the Alaska Board of Education to provide prevention education in schools in rural Alaska. Then the announcement for next year's language focus, Clinkit, was announced. Afterwards, a series of songs played with people rapping around the entire main room on the third floor. After the conference, I sat down with Gloria Wolf, who was Clinkit and a staff member of First Alaskans. Elders and youth is always a really magical time, but I feel like this being after the pandemic, people are showing up eager to be with each other. For KMBA News, I'm Hannah Bissett. The AFN Newscast is produced by KMBA and Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, supported with funding by Rasmussen Foundation, Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium, ExxonMobil Alaska, Chalista Corporation, Manilak Association, South Central Foundation, ConocoPhillips, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, and Donlin Gold. This is a production of KMBA and Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, brought to you through Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Welcome to Alaska's Native Voice. From the floor of the 2022 Alaska Federation of Natives Convention, I'm Antonia Gonzalez. On the show today, we're talking about lessons learned after a powerful storm that started in Southeast Asia turned into a monstrous storm that slammed into Alaska's West Coast in September. More than 40 Alaska Native communities were impacted. Some people lost homes. Many others lost tools they rely on to live a subsistence lifestyle. And a changing climate means these kinds of storms are likely to happen more often in coming years. Today, we're going to talk about how Alaska's emergency management can improve. Now, joining me now, I have three guests here. Uh, Chad Olson, he is the tribal administrator for Hooper Bay. It's Jan, J-A-N. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. No, no problem. Uh-huh. And also uh, Earl uh, Samuelson, who works with the Bethel Search and Rescue in Western Alaska's Major Hub Community, and Millie Hawley is the tribal administrator in Kivalina, a village on the barrier island of the Chukchi Sea coast, 80 miles north of the Arctic Circle. And uh, Millie, go ahead and start us off if you want to um, introduce yourself, please. Uh, good morning. Millie Hawley, native village of Kivalina. <laughs> I've been the tribal administrator there since uh, 2018, and before that, um, I was a, a tribal council president for uh, at least eight years. So I've worked with the tribe for since 2001. And um, so the storm started 2000, or the erosion, the severe erosion started in 2004. So I had my work cut out for me. 
And um, Earl, go ahead and introduce yourself. My name is Earl Samuelson, born and raised in Bethel. Got into flying uh, back in 1981, 79, right out of high school. <clears throat> Figured I'd uh, get into aviation to get out of Bethel. Got married and moved five miles out of town. Still live in the Boscak. Flew airplanes commercially for a couple of years. <clears throat> and flew for the Alaska State Troopers for almost 35 years. Retired in 2014. Still involved with our local search groups. Um, and what's it been? I think it brings me here. Well, thank you for that. And uh, go ahead, please introduce yourself. My name is Jan Olson. Tablet Missouri for the native village of Hooper Bay. It's uh, been a little over a year since I've been the tablet administrator. And before then, I was the city administrator. But um, yeah, now I'm the tablet administrator. And it's been a tough few, few weeks now. <laughs> well, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about the community and what happened? Well, yeah, we, as you all know, uh, Hooper Bay, if you don't know on the map, it's just right there, right on the um, west coast of um, Alaska, and we were just hit with all that wind and the waves, and, you know, um, our community has never seen anything like that with you know, within my lifetime. And a lot of our elders are talking the same thing. You know, they've never seen a storm that that great. And Millie, um, tell us a little bit about what happened to your community. In our community, um, the erosion not only just hit the Chukchi side, but uh, on our little island, we have, on the lagoon side, some homes lost ground. So uh, without any um, help from any of the entities outside of Kivalina, our l local search and rescue started uh, re removing some rock revetment uh, rocks or boulders from the Chukchi side to mitigate the erosion where the home was losing ground. So on the lagoon side, and they worked tirelessly for uh, two or three days doing that. Um, I got a whole, or one of the um, employees called from uh, Tech Alaska and they asked, you know, if there's anything they can do. And I said, well, there's a home that's losing ground, so um, I know the local search and rescue is mitigating that. So uh, next thing I know, a couple of days later, they were there helping the search and rescue, um, trying to keep that home from falling into the lagoon. And Earl, can you talk a little bit about what search and rescue does and some of the work and why it's so important? Okay. First, I'd like to see you. Yep. Go ahead. Uh, Leposkak and Bethel are 80 miles up the Kusukwim, and the very next day, we felt the, the water surge come up that far up. And normally we get high water in the springtime in our area during the breakup, but the sur the surge was so strong that even high levels of water came up into Bethel and Leposkak that I haven't seen in probably years, years. And it, we had uh, 
homes that water gun underneath them, but not like what Hooper Bay and the other coastal communities had. So that's how strong this storm was. Our our group in Bethel were small. We, even though we're we got some numbers, uh, we're still a small group, and we're still learning. We'll try to help out any situation that arises. Like on this storm, one our guys in Bethel were kind of monitoring water levels. We got a spot we call Alligator Acres. It's probably the, one of the lowest spots in the in Bethel. Some of those homes got water around them. I don't think water got in them. But uh, like I heard, search and rescue groups were all volunteer and help out wherever we can. And each each member or several members have different specialties and try to, if they're good at this, let them do it. If we're good at this, let them do it. I'm sure Hooper Bay's too. They, they know their area. We know our area. Um, so we try to rely on your expertise. Uh, we don't want to see people missing. Uh, we want everybody, like everybody, come home alive if they can. I just read the story of that young man up there in Koyuk was trying to get to know him. <clears throat> he didn't make it home. Uh, he should have made it home, I thought. Uh, sometimes we can't. Um, we do our best. Like now, we last month we had a search out there since August 31 where a boat had flipped over. Two of the folks made it, got home late, but we're still missing for one more. Um, hopefully they find that person, but sometimes we can't. A little bit of elderly vice, though. I remember going out to communities. Um, I like to have an elder guy. I'm sure Hooper Bay has elder people that talk to us and um, and that he told us, sometimes we can't bring everybody home. If a person falls in the water, the soil covers them up. The good Lord's taking care of them. And I see this many times in the winter time. Um, someone perishes on the, uh, or in the winter, the snow covers them up. The good Lord's taking care of them. And we are on the tundra. The tundra buries you. The good Lord is taking care of you. And it, that sticks with me all the time. And, and um, think about the people that we haven't taken care of or brought home. But the uh, elder words, uh, advice always come back. And remember what he says sometimes. And I, I get into arguments sometimes. Is the good Lord taking care of him? That's his way. Humanly, we want to bring him back, which is better. But May the good Lord watch over those. And I definitely want to hear about elder advice from our other two guests, but um, something that I thought of when you were talking, Earl, is, you know, when we think of search and rescue, we think of people a lot of times, and now search and rescue is focusing on storm preparation. Can you comment on that? For myself, it, uh, we do, if we do in our region at least, and I did pick up on the, the uh, National Weather Service picking up when this storm, this big storm was coming in, <clears throat> they had a community-wide call in, trying to get that word out. Hey, this uh, big storm is coming in, and try to prep for that storm. And in our community, I know if we we're predicting higher water, as yes, we let folks know the forecast is coming, the water's coming, 
prep for that. Um, if you ever had water in your community, you don't want water in your community again. I mean, if you've been evacuated, you don't want water in your community. But you can prep for that. And houses are up higher now. Um, like this last water surge, we didn't get the impact we did in like 2005 and then in the 90, in 95. Homes are up higher. Um, I want to see the community is getting everybody involved, even the school. If you do have to get your safe home or evacuated, and then my hat goes off to a lot of the school systems. I see they activated their plan to where folks can do uh, to that school now. But also to get the word out to where bring your medications, your foods you like to eat with you, extra clothing, bedding, um, if you do have it ready to go, backpack it, suitcase it, or whatever, um, just in case. Is it? A lot of people didn't think it was going to happen, this, this surge, but it did happen. And um, I had to guess many people were not prepared to see what was ahead. And um, I do want to ask, uh, Millie, maybe you can go first, is uh, looking and at the elder's advice um, that Earl was talking about, but also just is there any kind of um, talk about storms or anything getting worse or any kind of, you know, talk about that from the elders? When we first had to uh, evacuate in, I believe, 2009, I'm not sure about the years, I'm, but the first evacuation um more than 90% of the uh, residents of Kivalin evacuated, um, barricading themselves across the channel with uh, local ATVs to uh, to the port site. Uh, and then the borough, the local borough, sent nine charters out, and 90 people were flown to um, Cotsview, and housed in Cotsview. Um, and there were two elders. They refused to evacuate and they refused to get on the plane. And one of them was an elder in his uh, early 70s. And he said, uh, the storm will pass. Uh, it's not going to get worse. Uh, there's no reason to you know, evacuate. He, he went out and looked and you know now the elders can look across the horizon and see a little black dot and say a storm is coming um well that's what this elder did he he knew it wasn't going to get any worse so he he stayed home there were 52 people that year um that stayed in Kivalina, uh and there were two children those two children were his grandchildren at school who were <laughs> with 11 teachers. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> we listened to our elders. Another elder recently, um, he went on the VHF. Uh, he's in his late 80s. He went on the VHF, and his, the first thing he said was, don't panic. Don't panic. Just prepare yourselves. Uh, listen to the... Um, Weather service, and so we have uh, 
scouts during the night. Uh, in the late evenings, we have people uh, watching the uh, waves, the weather patterns. The, and we have people using their apps nowadays. They use apps and they follow the eye of the storm and see where that's going. So one of them is the city mayor, and uh, he was following that. So um, he didn't see a need for you know evacuation at the time uh, because they were following the storm. Uh, one elder we had was a teacher who was who's been there since uh, 1978, 77, 78. He left Kivalina for health reasons about um, three years ago, and the community miss him dearly because. He always knew, because he became a part of us, he always knew when things are going to get bad. or And he's always, at one point, he became the uh, city mayor. And so he always, uh, he used to always be able to help the community prepare. But our young folk with a lot of children, they, we all have VHFs at home, so... Um, the, the young folk, they learn to pack emergency bags in case they have to take off. And now we have an evacuation road up to the mainland, which is uh, eight miles in to a new school building. And they have that safety measure. Before that, they didn't. They, were, they couldn't even fend for themselves. I mean, if, if the water ever came over, it, it, there's no planes coming in. Coast Guard couldn't come in. Nobody could come in to save our people for any anything. We're, we're left all alone there. We have to fend for ourselves. And there was no no way out of the island. But now people are a little bit more relaxed because now they have this evacuation road. Um, and thanks to uh, the state of Alaska, to the local borough, to... Uh, tribal transportation program that all funded this. So um, listen to your elders. They know when you need to go, when you need to take off. And they're the ones that uh, will help guide the, you know, the evacuation and stuff. Thank you for that, Millie. And I definitely want to hear about Hooper Bay and advice from elders. And is there any talk about... Are storms going to get worse, or are they going to increase, or anything having to do with climate change as well? Yes, just like um, Antonia. Uh, Millie, this Millie. is Millie. Oh, yep. sorry. Uh-huh. Nope. All right, just like uh, Millie said, you know, we've always heard stories, you know, from our elders. And with my grandma, she'd always tell us that, you know, that our weather is going to change in she was in, uh, in in her just about a hundred years old. In nineteen eighty eight, she passed away, and you know I always hear stories from her saying that our weather is going to change, and it's going to change with the people. And you know, she even said that you know our weather will mumichtak. That means uh, change with the lower 48 and we could see it today look back back home where we got no snow and on the east coast in the united states there 
being bombarded with snow. And, you know, that was our weather. And, you know, um, Shidao's tell us that uh, someday we'd have to prepare to, you know, get away from our area. And, you know, there's even a shaman who told us that if there, if if the water reaches my grave, that's when Hooper Bay is going to be no longer there. And it's just right there now. It's just feet away. Back when I was a kid, we had about five rows of dunes on our beach. We're just down to our last last row, and Old Hooper Bay is right there. There's no longer a place where, in our in uh, in our beach, where we could get fresh water, because all that salt water just went in and um, overflowed, and I mean, flooded, and there's no place for us to get fresh water on our beach. So we have to think, uh, go further back. You know, we've heard stories as we were growing up, and I was, you know, I was naive in thinking that that will never happen in my lifetime, but I'm actually living it right there. And, you know, I'm afraid for my kids and my grandkids, because what what are we going to do? But now we're, you know, before the storm hit, we were actually, you know, uh, planning to move uh, further in inland, and now it's a must. It's not when we have to do it now, because another big storm comes. It's just going to wipe away our last last row of dunes, and you know the floods just going to get. Bigger and bigger. Uh, and Millie, oh, yep, go ahead, Earl. Add on just a little bit on, <clears throat> like one of our elders back home, my father-in-law, he, he'd look out the window and tell you what the weather was doing, and it was fairly accurate. But later on, it was changing, where he was predicting wouldn't happen. And he said, he said the weather is changing so fast, it's getting hard to predict. Just to throw that in there. And then the another thing that caught me was, if you watch the elements, the sun, and how it goes down, I noticed he was watching that, and I started picking it up. Then all of a sudden, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, people were saying the world had shifted. And you don't see the sun coming up where it used to come up or go down where it used to go down. So something has shifted, you know, and I noticed that, especially even this past summer, um, where the sun, where it was coming up. It's a little bit, they say the sun comes up to the east, but it was seemed to be more northeast to me this summer, if you notice it. Just, just to throw that out. Well, thank you for that, Earl. And um, 
You're listening to Alaska's Native Voice. We are talking about the powerful storm that hit the state and looking at emergency response. We have three guests joining us today. It is the first day of the Alaska Federation of Natives annual convention. We have to take a quick short break, but we will be right back. Welcome back to Alaska's Native Voice from the Denina Center in Anchorage. We're on the floor at the 2022 Alaska Federation of Natives Annual Convention. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. I have three guests joining me today. We're talking about the powerful storm that hit the state and also looking at emergency management and response. We have Jan Olson. Welcome back. Um, Earl Samuelson and Millie Hawley. Thank you all for being here today. And right before the break, um, you know, we were talking a little bit, bit about advice from elders and, and looking at um, what they have to say about the storm and being prepared. And um, Millie, you talked a little bit about the technology um, and how that's changed, how people respond. Um, do you think that the use of both traditional knowledge and technology is helping in preparedness? There's uh, two different um, scenarios on that one. There's two different sides to it. Um, the, f- the negative side is that people are watching it and getting more fearful on their apps. And um, But it's also, on the, on the flip side, it's also a good tool to use to prepare before the storm. Um, and when they see the uh, eye of the storm coming closer to Kivalina, the um, the young folks, especially because they're really into their phones and their apps, um, they were more fearful and, and lose a lot of sleep. Out of the, the young folks, especially those with babies, they lost a lot of sleep and um, they were very tired at the end of the storm because they were watching their app and that that's the negative side. I mean, um, it's good to prepare. It's good to be uh, prepared for that. But um, to stay up 24, 48 hours watching your phone and watching that storm, you know, it's not healthy. Uh, and that's why we have people scouting out, you know, through the, the search and rescue, the um, folks that volunteer to watch, you know, through the night what's going to happen and um it's helpful, both helpful and both fearful to have. So it depends on who, you know, who's doing the watching. You have to be very trustworthy in the community to um, to, to be that person. Okay, 
And Earl, anything to add to that about the how the use of technology is is it helpful? Is it hindering or anything to add to what Millie was saying? I, I actually find it helpful. Um, as you can see, the storm's coming way in advance. And also note that their predictions, they're not accurate. As they get closer to you, then they get more accurate. But for distance forecasting, it's I can say it's helpful, but don't predict that that's going to be accurate. You can see big storms coming through Florida. They have models, and, and that's what the app is, modeling your predicting how these storms are going. And so far, they've been pretty accurate in our part of the state. So, yeah. Um, and one thing we're, we're trying to encourage is to get our young people more involved. There's, the old-timers are not, not going to be around for long. We're not going to be uh, around for long. And I We've got technology. It's these young guys that got the technology that can help out, like the underwater cameras, the under, uh, underwater vehicles, the drone flying. These, I'm, I'm seeing these young guys that are playing the video games pick up these skills quicker than we do. And you know, we've got to integrate these guys in here. <laughs> Get them in there. Get them involved with your local search and rescue groups. And... And that's what I'm seeing it. There might be some hesitancy in there, but a good pat on the back. Come on, come on, buddy. We could get you involved. Uh, I think it's probably the same all the way around the, everywhere. And I use my phone a lot, and I see my grandkids doing the same thing. And sometimes I'll throw out a question, and they can't answer it. They'll Google it. <laughs> And also thinking about the younger generations, too, um, you know, being connected to technology all the time. But there's also drawbacks. Um, what is Internet broadband services like in Hooper Bay? Well, it's, uh, we, we don't have the best Internet, you know. Um, there are some days that we are out of service for an hour or longer sometimes, you know, and it goes on and off, you know, and, you know, we're uh, trying to get online, but there's no service, and, you know, it's uh, not the best out there, and, you know, there's sometimes that we totally get cut off if there's a, if the GCI is out, and, you know, there's no way to call because nowadays uh, we're so dependent on cell phones. There's not very many um, landlines back home, and you know the, where our community, our the tribal council is even talking about purchasing a couple satellite phones just in case you know anything happens. Because there's sometimes when Especially after storms, you know, there there might be a line that got cut and you got no service from um, our local provider, the GCI uh, company. And there's, there's no way to 
call out or no way for anybody to call in. So, you know, where I, I uh, brought it up with the council that we need an alternative way to reach out to the rest of the world. And, you know, satellite phones, it's nowadays it's a must. To, in, you know, that's what our uh, traditional council is thinking about. Because, you know, if anything happens and we're totally cut off, how are we going to um, reach out to the rest of the, uh, the YK Delta, the rest of the world? And, you know, you mentioned VHFs. Those could only reach so far, you know. <laughs> so, you know, we're already thinking about uh, the next next step. And then, oh, yep, go ahead, Earl. Just to add on technology again, there's a, you mentioned satellite phones, but there's also the device called the InReach. Pro, InReach. It's, it's satellite communication with texting. And, and they're always changing, too, their models and making it better and better and better. I've got one myself. I've got a couple more for our family members. I, I had gone away from uh, the VHF and not really wanting to, but it's because of the cell phones that everybody everybody is getting cell phones. And at least in our community, the VHF is phasing out, and it's the Facebook messaging. And, and that's useful, too, for blood preparation or disaster preparation. Is People are leaning towards this, but if we don't, don't have what, like you, you mentioned, what if everything goes down in the, the inReach? Uh, we were doing a presentation one time, and uh, we were passing around. Somebody pressed the SOS button. It wasn't even two minutes. The lady called up and said, Earl, are you okay? That's how fast technology works. And it was, she was on the other side of the country. Uh, that's something... Maybe Hooper Bay or other villages can look into in a way of communicating. And, um, you know, after the storm, then comes the assessments and the, you know, the, the public response and seeking assistance to help recover from the storm. Uh, producer Emily Schwing uh, was out there and she got to talk to people about what they need next. Um, let's hear from from Nick Tom, who is a leader in New Talk, and the village is currently in the midst of relocating nine miles away to higher ground, and he has concerns about that, just about the federal and state assistance and how the government can help. I think one of the biggest questions that we have is that if we apply for this disaster fund, would we still be eligible for like snow machine, outboard motors, house, housing flood. Uh, we're not sure how that's going to be handled. And that was a leader talking about looking at the state and federal assistance. Um, Millie, uh, your response to that, and how is your village recovering right now? The um, That's what I was thinking about this whole time, you know, we're left out there by ourselves to to fend for ourselves, and there's no um, way any, not even the Coast Guard can come into Kivalina when we get into a storm. And um, 
our village, we have uh, joined together both the city and the tribe, and we have developed some uh, requirement uh, documents, such as a FEMA hazardous mitigation plan. We got that together, and we've got the other skirt plans, and we we put everything together for, you know, for the federal and state agencies to respond. And yet when it comes to a storm, nobody shows up. We're all fending for ourselves. We spend all this money to prepare with and, and communicate with the state and federal agencies. But in the end, we have only ourselves to take care of and we have only ourselves to look to. Um, after the storm, then uh, we have all this red tape. Uh, you have to do this to get the re reimbursement. You have to do that. Did you do this? Did you, did you do that? Well, we were in a state of emergency. We didn't think about that at the time. So state and federal agencies' regulations and their requirements, they need to lax. <laughs> they need to lax their requirements after the storm so that the people in the villages can recover and, and, and they can take care of, you know, if they can take care of themselves during the storm, then they can take care of themselves in recovery. They know what needs to be recovered. They, need, they know what needs to happen. And the state and federal agencies that have these requirements and the funding, then they need to be the ones to work with the communities, not against them, because they use that big word, that letter in the documents, regulations, uh, to limit what is given to the community to re help them recover. So I have a big problem with that. And it's also um, holding accountable the agencies that are supposed to be helping the tribal communities. And on top of that, it's also good to have Native people in these positions because they know the communities and they know the assistance. Um, definitely want to hear from both of you, but um, just uh, go ahead and respond with the federal assistance, and then we'll go to you, Earl. Uh, um, back home in Hooper Bay, you know, um, we didn't wait till, you know, we got a response from the FEMA or the state. You know, our traditional council, we went and already uh, assessed on our own which homes needed this, which homes needed that, because a lot of damage was, um, you know, wind damage and uh, roofing on homes. And, you know, a lot of um, calls were coming in saying, you know, we're starting to drip in our home. And, you know, we, as a, our traditional council went in and um, we were lucky that there was a, um, a group from Wasilla who was actually there to do other, other, uh, other work on one of our uh, corporation's uh, buildings. And we were lucky enough that they were there. You know, they're, they're contract, they were contracted and they were able to go and assess the damage after. You know, we met with them. We uh, actually sat down and we asked them, you know, you got your expertise. 
can you please go and, you know, our native corporation, along with our traditional council, ask them if, you know, they could go and assess, you know, before uh, even the female people came out. And, you know, we were lucky enough that they were able to go around and see and assess the damage. And uh, they told us, okay, we want uh, this much material for this many homes. You know, they uh, it was at least 20 homes that they wanted to go and, you know, fix up. It was the roofing. There was a lot of porches that uh, Arctic entries with their hood. <laughs> But we call them porches that just got blown away from uh, that big old wind, you know, 80, 80 knots, 80 mile an hour winds. And it's uh, they were actually there and they did their assessment and they went out of their way. And our um, native corporation allowed that to happen. You know, they said, OK, let's not worry about our building. I'd like for you all to go out and see what our community actually needs. You know, they went and assessed and they came back and they said at least 20 homes worth, you know, they we got all the material, we purchased all that material because, you know, right now it's uh, our wet season and, you know, it's uh, something that our, we kept getting calls. My home is dripping. It's starting to drip, you know, because of all that, um, all the material, the roofing material that came off of our homes. So, you know, we went ahead and did that on our own. But, you know, we've had many visits from FEMA, Red Cross, and, you know, they, thankfully they were there, and, but it's... You know, something that we had to step over, and instead of waiting, we went ahead and did that on our own. Because it's, um, there's two homes that are totally destroyed, and there's uh, um, three homes that were, like, not that bad damaged. One of them was mine. It was uh, on a lower, it's on a lower part of the um, village. We have two town sites. It's an old town site and there's a new housing site. And uh, on the to newer town site, there, there's how many uh, subdivisions? There's the Tamangla Hill, the main place, there's Blueberry Hill, Manning Hill. And when when we flood, you know, uh, we thought our road was high enough to where it's not going to separate our community. But when uh, Typhoon, we call it Mkhbak, that's really high water, Murpak. <laughs> but uh, um, when it happened, our community actually became not just two separate places, it became three. And 
you know, we've never seen that water so high. You know, I, I'm 47 years old, and I've never seen that water come up to my home. I'm living in my, what my dad built, and, you know, the water got so high, and the waves, and the, uh, all that stuff that was coming up, it just moved it a few inches, but, <laughs> and my window got blew out, my porch got blown off, and, it's, uh, we haven't been in there for a couple of weeks because we were kind of um, wary of going back to our home. But, you know, I reassessed it and I'm like, I told my wife, it should be good to come back home because we're actually in an um, evacuation center with uh, two, two other families. And, you know, it's something that I never thought I'd see. And, you know, we were actually uh, in talks with the uh, native village of Paimid. They have uh, tribal members that live in Hooper Bay. We've been talking even before the storm about relocating. And, you know, we knew it was, it had to happen. But now we know it has to happen. It's not just when, it's just, it's got to happen. Thanks for sharing all of that. And it must be hard. I can't imagine, you know, being displaced for even a day. But uh, go ahead, Earl. Head on to what um, Millie was saying is working with the uh, FEMA and the state agencies. And I just reviewed the grant, the grant 40,000 40, roughed it off, our funds available. If you take that 40,000 in the lower 48, you could probably do something. You take that 40000 and put it up in Alaska, it's just a starting point. A four, snow machines now are $20,000. $20, and I, I can see there's funds available for the grant application, $18,950. You could barely purchase a snow machine for that price, that one, if you lost a boat or a motor. I think we need to work with these lawmakers increase those funds and show that Alaska prices are way different from the lower 48. A house was uh, $300,000 once to build if you want to build a house in rural Alaska. And I can, I'm kind of looking at the grant application, 39000 You can maybe make your porch, see? There's a big gap. It's same way. It's the same way in education. It's college education across America versus college education up in Alaska. We pay the highest prices on everything, and I think these grant application fees or what people can get are peanuts right now. And we need to work on work on the lawmakers to show that it's it, it's not enough to cover the losses. That should be 130000 for cover your home damage. A snow machine, maybe that should be $50,000. It should be double up that. So. Definitely. And there was also losses just beyond, you know, the houses. A lot of people lost their subsistence foods, their tools that 
you're talking about, the snow machines and um, other things. Um, and then when the electricity went out, people lost you know, all their freezer foods that are going to get them through the winter. So producer Emily Schwing did get to talk to somebody about that. Um, her name is Stella Lake, and she works for the tribe in Chivac, and uh, she shared a little bit about that. We were told, we were told to prepare, and we pulled up all our boats, anchored them down, but we didn't expect the winds to cause all that. And it's not just boats, right? It's like, you know, fishing nets, all the sheds that are yes. lost. Tell me what was in the sheds. Sheds were like uh, nets, anchors, Life jackets, gas okay. tanks, all the necessities you need to go by, go out by fishing boats. Did you have a shed? Mm-hmm. Did, is it okay? It's gone. It's gone. Completely? Just gone. Completely gone. My shed's been there since I was young. That was my dad's shed. And it just is devastating to hear these stories. Um, Millie, I know it's hard to think about all the losses, but... Um, you know, how, how, how do you recover from those types of losses? A lot of our people have learned to um, mostly pray, you know, just for their, uh, their sound mind to be able to move on, to move forward. Um, but what do you do? What else can you do? Uh, you don't have a snow machine to go out hunting anymore. You don't have a boat or your fishing nets to subsist anymore. So what do you do? Do you just sit there and do nothing? Or do you, um, you know, the first thing I notice in my community is that they pray a lot. And that's where they find their strength to get up and, and start over uh, and help each other. Like I said, we have a lot of young folks that uh, are scouting through the night and taking care of other family members. If they're single, you know, they're taking care of each other. Um, we listened to our elders, and when they said that we should share what we have, uh, then we, we are open to that. We, Our young folk, I noticed they've been... Uh, going out hunting, and they've been going in, in groups. They don't go by themselves anymore. They can't. They can't afford to because, you know, there's, like uh, Earl said, there's, you can't predict what's going to happen from one day to the next, from the morning to the evening. So I noticed that our young folk are starting to go out in groups, and they don't go by themselves anymore. So... The only way we can recover is to uh, band together, to take care of each other, to share what is salvageable, to share what is already, you know, what's, what's there, and to pick each other up and to help each other to move forward. Um, so I, that's about the only thing we can do as a community. Um, Otherwise, you just recede and you go back and you just perish. I mean, we don't want to see a community doing that. So we have to uh, listen to our elders. That's what they taught the young folk to do. And you just pick yourselves up and be resilient as you are. 
because you're in a harsh element. You're in a place where you don't have anybody else to rely on but yourself. So. Thank you for that, Millie. And we are running out of time. Um, want to uh, thank you, Millie Holly, the tribal administrator, and Kivalina for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your words. And um, Earl, go ahead. I just want to add, and I'm very thankful we had no loss of life out there. We were kind of worried about Hooper Bay when that young boy showed up. And thankful for that. And uh, a little bit of elder advice. It was... Uh, you probably hear this. You can lose stuff. You can rebuild stuff. But if you lose a life, you cannot rebuild that life. Be thankful for all the things you have and got. But someday, like, we might not have that anymore. So be, be thankful. Thank the good Lord you're here to express that. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Earl Samuelson, who works with the Bethel Search and Rescue in Western Alaska. Thank you for joining us today. And we have just uh, less than a minute, so uh, go ahead, Jen. You know, it's, um, it, it takes a community, but it also takes a whole state. We're all Alaskans. You know, we've, we're totally from different areas. You know, I'm from the coast, you're from up north coast, and you're from the Cuscoquim. But, you know, we all have unique challenges, and but we're all in it together. You know, it's that's uh, one thing that, you know, I love about Alaska. Definitely. We, we have to stick together. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're out of time. You've been listening to Alaska's Native Voice. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Join us again tomorrow. AFN, Alaska's Native Voice. Produced and directed by Antonia Gonzalez and Emily Schwing. Broadcast support provided by Rasmussen Foundation, Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium, ExxonMobil Alaska, Chalista Corporation, Manilik Association, South Central Foundation, ConocoPhillips, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, and Donlin Gold. This is a production of KMBA and Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation brought to you through Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.